When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Lore Party listeners, it's Abu. I'm just dropping in here before the episode starts to let you know that this is actually part one of a two-part episode. We had an incredible conversation with MJ from the Reignite podcast, and we wanted to share it in full without losing any context and cutting too much of it. So this is part one. Be sure after you finish listening here to check out part two. This is a good one, and I promise it's going to be worth two parts. Alrighty, here's the episode. Today on the show, it's raining men. Anturians and Asari and Krogan? Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. My name is Leo. My name's Abu. And I'm MJ. Leo. Yeah. I think I'm hearing that voice again. Oh no, now? Yeah. It's been a couple of days, but it had a name this time. I think it's a she, and she said that her name is MJ. Yeah, that's what I said. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> okay, we can drop this ruse. Uh, we're actually joined by a guest today in place of Kevin, who we miss dearly, of course. Love Every you, day. Kevin. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're actually joined by a guest from the Reignite podcast, MJ. Hey! Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. We are so glad you're here. Uh, you are actually a Lord Party listener, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> no pressure. Uh, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> we won't ask you your true and honest opinion here because we don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'll give it to you. I'm not afraid. <laughs> Neither of you scare me. <laughs> Good. That's fair. Good. We are not intimidating people at all by any means. Um, but MJ, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Mass Effect because there's a reason you're on our Mass Effect episodes and not any other episodes so far. Uh, and it's because you have your own Mass Effect podcast. You're Big fan, I take it. I hope so. Otherwise, you're on the wrong episode. We should but. introduce, <laughs> before we get into that, we should, uh, I'd love to hear about Reignite. I'd love to hear what Reignite is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, fortunately, I can answer both of those questions at the same time. So I started playing Mass Effect in, let's say, 2010, uh, back when I was dating, who is now one of my best friends, Matt Storm. And he got me into the game and I loved it. I loved the storytelling. I loved the characters. I loved what it made me think and how it made me question myself. And then years later, Matt and I are still best friends. And I said to him, what if we did a Mass Effect podcast? So we did. (laughs) We do a deep dive into Mass Effect and we talk about every choice that we make, how it's different, how it's similar, our reasons for making the choices. Uh, If we romance someone differently from the past, how we are different now than we were. 
And we've had a lot of really interesting conversations. Uh, Matt and I used to hate Caden Lenko, but now <laughs> Matt's kind of in love with him. Wow. wow. That's, that's a full on 180. Yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> so like it, it has been a really rewarding experience to play again and to take notes this time. Oh, uh, yeah. The age old fun activity of playing a video game and taking notes about it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you mock, but at least I remember details that Matt forgets. Oh, totally. I have no, I barely remember yesterday, let alone like the game I played and loved to death. Like my favorite video games, I'll still have people mention stuff to me and I'm like, wait, was that in the game that I like want to get a tattoo of or whatever, right? <laughs> so are you and Matt replaying the trilogy again as you're podcasting? Yes. So we finished Mass Effect 1. We're currently in our break between seasons. We had a couple of guest episodes. We're doing actually a one-shot tabletop RPG set in the Mass Effect universe as like a bonus episode. Nice. Love it. And then we're going to be at Dark Side of the Con talking about vampires in video games. And then we're jumping into Mass Effect 2. That's exciting. So we're excited that you're here. And I mean, we have a really fun conversation for today's episode. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a topic that you are going to be able to add a lot to because the Mass Effect Pod Squad here at Lore Party is just three straight dudes. And uh, there's only so much perspective we can add uh, because there's only so much that we experienced from the Mass Effect games. But there are so many aspects to the world of Mass Effect uh, that speak to all types of people. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, one of the nice things about playing Mass Effect with Matt is we're both queer presenting people. I'm pansexual, he's bisexual. So at the time that we first started playing it, neither of us were very sure of our identities. But mm. now we're very entrenched in our identities. And we're also like, we're older, we're grownups now. We were in our very early 20s when we first played. So it's interesting to re-experience the games now that I know like what I'm interested in, who I'm interested in, and why I'm interested in those people. So you don't have some of those like constraints that you're implying, like putting on yourself when you're experiencing it. Like you can just enjoy the conversations that you have with the characters without having to worry about like, well, I'm this and I'm not gonna I don't know, he's a bug. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a belief that Exploring alien romance is a factor of queer identity because if you are unable to pursue a particularly queer romance the way that our world views queerness, you will do so in the way that makes sense or the way that helps you to fulfill that need for that need of kind of being different, being queer. And if that's dating a Turian then you're still right. queer in a way. Right. right. <laughs> so feel free to not answer this question, uh, but did Mass Effect play any sort of role in helping you figure out an identity? Oh, or definitely. was it just sort of something uh, along your journey that you really enjoyed and became a big fan of? I think Mass Effect was a huge part of it. Uh, when I first played and I had the option to romance Liara, it was in my very early 20s, as I said. So it didn't feel inappropriate to me because I was also close in age. Um, but it was the first time I felt I could pursue 
a same sex relationship without being punished. So it was my first experience just being like, nobody's going to judge me and nobody's going to make fun of me and nobody's going to call me a dyke. Okay, great. I'll also point out that, and this is something that becomes became apparent to me as I was looking into this episode and getting ready for it. This franchise allows you an opportunity to explore a relationship with this other character. And the characters are so well written, it often feels very personal. I mean, for a lot of players, this game series is about the relationships. You spend far more time getting to know the characters than you do, like, blasting the bad guys, right? Like, a big part of the game is this interpersonal relationship. And uh, it's funny, I was looking back at the, uh, the, the scandal the Fox News coverage of the first Mass Effect game uh, where yeah, they were talking yeah. about the full frontal pornography that was Mass Effect and how, <laughs> and like, you're, you're listen, this is going to desensitize your kids and your kids are going to end up doing who knows what in the minutes you leave them with the game. <laughs> uh, the, the guy kind of on the call who was, I guess he was like an expert or he was the other side of the argument and he pointed out like, you don't just push a to have sex like it's not it's not an a, an easy thing it's not pornography you're not just doing a, watching same sex porn you're not just seeing an, a human and an alien having sex you build a relationship and if you successfully build a relationship with this real character real fictional character you maybe get a one and a half minute like or not even really it's like 30 seconds it's like a yeah, 30 second the like, shortest thing in the world <laughs> Definitely not worth a Fox <laughs> News segment. <laughs> you get like maybe some side boob and an ass shot and you're like, okay, Abu, wow. Abu, you're so angry about this. <laughs> this is this is years of disappointment that are just culminating in this Look, recording. I also played the game as a young teen, okay? And Mass Effect didn't teach me a thing about sex. Did it not teach you how to talk to women, though? <laughs> hey, hey, true point. I mean, it, I don't know if Mass Effect necessarily taught me anything, uh, but it certainly was a lot more than just a sex simulator or just yeah. a, a game with sex in it. Leo, you're absolutely spot on. Like, there was character building here. There were Characters had their arcs. Characters grew throughout the game. And then through interaction with the player, with Shepard, they could get into a romantic relationship that was more substantive than just a a sex scene thrown into the middle of a, or I guess the end of a game. And I'll throw out there, MJ, you're completely right. You might not learn a lot about sex watching Mass Effect or playing Mass Effect, but like, I still think about flirting, not not exactly because of the way that Mass Effect played into my life and kind of when I played it and stuff, I was a little bit past the point of kind of what is flirting? Like I kind of knew, but I then now in my adult kind of adulter life, when I see people flirting, I'm like, they have multiple dialogue options and they're just like choosing the one that seems like the most scandalous, but still totally <laughs> acceptable. Like there's so much validity to the way that they wrote the game to be really real flirting. Like so, uh, one of the articles I was reading pointed out who, um, Kelly, Kelly's like the assistant who's on the, deck mm -hmm. and i remember very distinctly being like okay who's this it's not garris <laughs> but like you know i'll talk to her and uh and i remember flirting with kelly and it being like wow this 
my pulse is like a little bit elevated. Like this is a, <laughs> wow, good job. Kelly's a sweetheart though. She's so sweet. For sure. I think, I don't think there's a single Mass Effect player out there who didn't at one point flirt with Kelly Chambers, either unintentionally or very intentionally. <laughs> I, th- I think it just sort of happened to everyone. Um, so we've mentioned a couple of names. We've mentioned Garrus, Liara, Caden uh, has come up. Let's let's actually sort of lay the groundwork for anyone who has been living under a rock for like the last 10 video game years and doesn't know that there are romance options in the Mass Effect video games, uh, in the original trilogy and in Andromeda, which we're not going to talk about today. Um, let's just get to what our listeners are really here for. <laughs> who did you guys romance, MJ? So I believe the first time I started, I romanced Liara. And then in two, I switched over to Garrus. And I think I just stuck with Garrus because I've romanced everyone in my multiple playthroughs, but the ones that stand out to me, like Garrus is the highlight of all the romances for me, but also when I have played as male Shep, Tali. But who knows what's going to happen in my current playthrough? I romanced <laughs> no one this time around because romancing Liara felt predatory and gross and I couldn't do it. It's like, I'm 30 and you're 18. I need to leave this room. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting that, you're, that your real world kind of identity is playing into the choices you're making in game. Because, I mean, so, so Liara is 18 in the game and Shepard's much older is that is that well she's 108 in the game which is 18 by asari in the asari years Uh, right yeah like she is very very young by asari standards and she also has no like romantic or sexual experience when you start talking to her which is also a like if you're tuned into queer culture when you meet someone who is queer and has very little experience, you kind of have to tread a very light line because it can quickly become a predatory situation where you take advantage and you don't even realize that that's what's happening necessarily or what that's what's happening to you. Like It's very common. So when you are a queer person approaching another queer person and you find that out, you kind of have to like make the decision that is best for both of you, which might be walking away. Well, it's hard to it's hard to get consent if the individual you're talking to doesn't quite understand what consent is, right? Right. Yeah, it's interesting that now that you're revisiting the game as a much older person into adulthood, that your perspective has changed on that. And Liara now suddenly is someone who is not this sexy blue alien, but somebody <laughs> who is this naive young alien who may or may not know what she's getting into. Uh, with a much older man. that That's a really interesting perspective. Do you think your relationship with Garrus is going to be different once you get into Mass Effect 2? I honestly don't know. I really hope not because <laughs> I love stories of best friends who fall in love because they support each other and they're there for each other. And that's why I fell in love with Garrus because no matter what, he was there for you. He never looked at you like you were a different person like Caden did. He never like really doubted you. If you told him, hey, this is the deal. I know it sounds weird, but I need you to have my back. Garrus had your back. And that really matters to me. And I'm hoping that 
in this current playthrough, my opinion of him does not change because that would be heartbreaking. He's the best boy. <laughs> He's the best boy. I mean, to be fair, your options in Mass Effect 2 are pretty limited. <laughs> I mean, Thane is also pretty great. Like, Thane is a completely other type. Oh, Thane was so good, though. <laughs> Very Thane different was great. Type. Um, Leo, what about you? Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Who are your romances? So I, as per mentioned, I have a terrible memory, and I don't even remember Mass Effect 1, although knowing myself, I would probably would have gone with, like, Liara, because, you know, she is objectively the most interesting character that you have as options in the first game, in my opinion, right? When you go into Mass Effect 2, I, uh, and I told, I said this in one of the first episodes that we did, um, I played as Fimshep basically the entire time, so... When I was presented with all of these options, I was like, well, Garrus is, first of all, he's got the best voice. He's just got the sexiest voice. voice. It's uh, so very true. It's so good. <laughs> and so not only that, but like his character is written really beautifully. He's loyal. He's always there. He's, he is the best boy. He's, <laughs> he so much is. So ultimately for me, it was a pretty clear choice. I was like, you know what, Garrus, because every other character is kind of, boring compared to him but in retrospect when i look back and mass effect 3 i think i continued with, um, i continued with garris but i think in retrospect i would consider like tali you know if i played again and i decided to go with like the female companions we talked a lot about tali in our last episode and if listeners out there in listener world haven't heard it we have some insightful things to say about uh them but in general uh tally is is fantastic and I, I really like her i have a very strong opinion that tally should have been by oh she's not an option for fee- female players no. no what no she you can only romance her as a male bullshit <laughs> she has this moment with you as femshep where she says there's no one i would trust to sink my suit to well no one quarian anyway and she de- she means you no matter what and like that's definitely a come on for sure. <laughs> and oh the only option is to be like, "Oh, you're my best friend too." Uh, yeah, I didn't. So I didn't even know that because again, I played this only as female, and I was always focused on Garrus. So knowing that, that's that's pretty upsetting because ultimately, and I think, listen, I think they're heading in the right direction. We look at Mass Effect One and the options we were given. Mass Effect Two and Mass Effect Three were a good trajectory of introducing new options that. Uh, allow for more people to be represented and to have opportunities to do the uh, to to find love where it is. It is a little weird to write characters to be whatever the player wants them to be, considering like reality, right? Where you go into a world and you meet people and they are who they are and they are who is true to them and they might not be options just because they're not options. But I think that in within the context when we're talking about game design. And the fact that the game designers can choose to define the characters how they are. I think it'd be great to be Femme Shep and to hook up with uh, Tally. She's awesome. She's great. So that actually segues into the next little discussion I wanted to have with the two of you, because I think both of you will have some interesting insights. How do you think Bioware sort of handled and tiptoed around this issue? Like Mass Effect 1, no, romance no, was obviously introduced. No, Abu. Who did you choose? 
Who you can't <laughs> yeah. not talk about. Listen, we're bearing our souls, and you're like, that's a great segue. Let's move on and not talk about the juicy deets that all the listeners oh. want to hear. And I would have gotten away with it too. <laughs> Damn. All right. Okay. I'll I'll share my romance options. I don't know how juicy these deets are. <laughs> Um, because I was literally the most boring person playing through these games. My first playthrough of Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 was as male Shep, and I think I romanced, like, quite possibly the most boring people. First time was Ashley Williams, because I was like, she's a human and she's a girl. (laughs) I like human girls. And uh, that was my entire reasoning behind that. I think on subsequent replays of Mass Effect 1, I always went Liara because she was a far more interesting character and a far more interesting romance option. But my initial one was Ashley Williams. Uh, I quickly dropped that in Mass Effect 2 uh, when the roster expanded. But then I also went with the cliche, generic, like, white girl. Like, I, I was like, oh, Miranda Lawson, she's beautiful. She's genetically meant to be perfect. And so I, I just did the thing that every other guy who played this game did. And I just went with the generically beautiful woman um, who was genetically enhanced. I think on subsequent replays, I also romanced Garrus because I, I, I played through the games as Femship as well. And then in Mass Effect 3, I believe... On my femship playthrough, I continued my relationship with Garrus because I think Leo and I are equally in love with our boy Garrus. He's the best boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I think, again, uh, MJ's going to start rolling her eyes at me again. I think in Mass Effect 3 as male Shep, I stuck with Miranda Lawson. <laughs> No. <laughs> she's the pumpkin spice latte of characters. She, she is. She she's really so is. Basic. She's just like... Who is our target audience? <laughs> Young teenage boys. Who should we craft for them to romance? And it's Miranda Lawson, you know? And don't I get, fell for it. <laughs> don't get me wrong. The actress that she's based on is absolutely gorgeous and wonderful. I think she's brilliant. And the character is great. They're just more interesting people. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, f- to be fair, I think Miranda's familial issues um, also struck a chord with me. So I think it was more than just generic, like, oh, she has a great butt. Uh, it, to be fair, it was a lot of great butt. But it was also like, uh, I sort of identified with her issues with family, with her issues with her father and her siblings. And, you know, at least they gave the butt <laughs> a little bit more character than just like, here's a generic, beautiful woman that everyone is going to romance. Totally. As covered, this game could have been a very easy, like, here's a cardboard cutout that we know you're going to enjoy looking at. Instead, they did give her kind of an interesting arc. It's like the Vegeta arc where she's like enwrapped in Cerberus and she's not a great, like, according to the characters that you start the the series with, she's like the embodiment of Cerberus in a lot of ways. And the fact that she kind of comes around and you get to know her as more of a human and she does have this kind of deep character that has been written but there are more interesting characters (laughs) (laughs) so my favorite thing about like everyone that is available to romance is you go from game one where everyone's kind of shiny and new and then you go to game two where everyone has been through some shit and everyone is broken oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like literally everyone is broken and fucked up 
That's so true. Like when you first meet Garrus, he's really immature and kind of a just not appealing person. And then he goes through some trauma and I'm like, ah, yes, that's the flavor of man I like. (laughs) Yes, now you are the broken people that I can truly be in love with. Yes. (laughs) You're like Archangel indeed. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds about right to me, Garrus boy. Um, but, you know, Abu, you set up this beautiful transition earlier, and I ruined it. I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I could, I was trying to dig for another transition here, too. I couldn't find one. But, well, um, listen. Yeah, so originally, <laughs> before we started talking about my pathetic Mass Effect love life, <laughs> I, I, I was trying to transition over to a discussion about Bioware and how they presented these characters. Because in Mass Effect 1, like we've already covered, you had three very generic options, but then I think because of a lot of fan reactions, a lot of pressure from fans with different backgrounds who wanted more options and more representation in these games, Bioware added some representation. Some of it may have been problematic, but how, how did you guys feel about the way Bioware handled these romance as the games evolved and as we went from sequel to sequel? Well, as a queer person, I wasn't like wild about my options necessarily. In one, my options were super limited. I had Caden, soft boy extraordinaire, or <laughs> Leon. Got him. <laughs> I love Caden. He's a marshmallow. And then in two, he becomes a toasted marshmallow. But yeah, the options are so limited in one. And then in two, they're expanded a little bit, but not really a lot of true same-sex or queer romances unless we look at alien as type of being queer and then we get three where you get one person and like it's not great it's better how do you how do you think bioware could have handled it better could they have handled it better i think they could have um dragon age 2 i think did a really good job because while yes people should just be what they are they shouldn't conform to what the player wants necessarily i think when you're playing a video game that doesn't necessarily matter you're playing a video game to escape so if you're entering a world where you fall for someone and you can pursue them that helps with the escapism so like in dragon age 2 pretty much everyone was not an option except for one person who was not an option to anyone and i kind of like that all or nothing type of thing like Either I want to romance who I want to romance or not be allowed to romance. So I have a very small rebuttal to that, which I want to preface by saying I don't agree with. But I feel like a lot of angry straight men would respond with saying, no, MJ, that breaks the lore consistency. (laughs) (laughs) And you're just flipping me the bird. Perfect response. But I I just want to make sure that we, you know, that that is something that, you know, you would immediately get as a response is, angry straight men being like no that breaks the lore like liara isn't gay why force her to be gay just because you want that do you have a response for that beyond flipping them the bird (laughs) behold the field in which i grow my fucks for it is barren (laughs) seriously who cares nobody says that you have to pick the queer option pick the straight option that's why it exists the point is there being an option for everyone not just small options that we have to kind of make do with because without them we'll starve it should be a feast not please sir can i have some more right and to that point i was going to mention earlier 
these characters are written by people, by humans, who have their own opinions and their own sexualities and may only know how to write one way or to write a character that can only represent a certain scope of experience. And I think that is also something that is a factor in these characters is like, there's not going to be more representation until the industry itself and the people making these games yes. and the people writing these characters are also much more representative. I mm -hmm. don't, I should have looked this up, but I don't know how many of the writers of Mass Effect were, you know, were not straight white dudes. As far as I know, all of them were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure either, but I completely agree with you. A really nice thing that exists now are sensitivity readers. That's when you get someone in to read for a particular type of demographic or culture. So if you're trying to write from the perspective of a queer person, but you're not queer and you want to make sure that you didn't fuck it up, you would bring in a sensitivity reader whose specialty is queer fiction or just being queer in general. And then they would read it for you and tell you where you made a mistake or what you can improve. So you don't necessarily have to be a diverse writer to write diversity. I think it's also the difficulty is you can staff the queer writers, but you also have to have the market and you have to have the producers and you have to have the directors and you have to have pretty much everybody on the same page of saying like, no, representation is important, not only to our fans, but also to and, and not even to our just our queer fans, but to every fan, like for people who maybe aren't within those labels to say, no, I want to have options in games. And I understand empathetically that everybody wants to have options in games. And so what is, what is that worth to me? Like it, it's about representation and it's about putting people into positions to create stories that are true to everybody. But it's also about creating a marketplace that doesn't react poorly to it. And I think I think that BioWare did a huge service to this front because now you have a AAA game series that has same-sex options, which shouldn't be a big deal, but it kind of is. Like Abu and I talked about Stardew Valley and how big of a deal it was that in Stardew Valley you could be either either gender, you could be a boy or a girl, and you could date boys or girls, and it's not a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. And it's like it it shouldn't be a big deal, but it's relatively uncommon still in video games and the more big games do it and less like indie titles more triple a titles do it i think the more everybody's going to be like exactly what you said earlier mj oh well i'm just not going to go down that choice because it's not what i want to do i'm going to date miranda because she was made with a perfect ass <laughs> damn drag me the ass that launched a thousand ships <laughs> I had a point that I was going to make, but I lost it because I got distracted <laughs> no. by Miranda Lawson's ass. No. <laughs> uh. Alrighty, so that's where we're going to end part one. But remember, there is a whole nother episode that continues this conversation. And in part two, we actually dive into this in-universe discussion about how society changes when you introduce aliens into the world of sexuality and love and relationships. So be sure to go check that out. Thanks for listening.